Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Worship at Resurrection Lutheran Church. Our service is outlined for you in your service folder. We'll begin at the top of page two with our choral hymn.
Thank you again to our choir. Uh, they sang in the first service and also this service. Um, that was Emily Price playing the piano and her sister Anna playing the flute. And we continue at the top of page two um, with our Advent gathering rite. Please rise. And as we sing, um, there is no musical introduction for each of these four verses. <clears throat>
we see that the prophetic word through Isaiah is fulfilled as John the Baptist proclaims joy in the coming Messiah. Our first reading from Isaiah chapter 61. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Savior King proclaims good news of great joy for all those who are brokenhearted. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a cloak of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his beauty. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. With a robe of righteousness he covered me, like a bridegroom who wears a beautiful headdress like a priest, and like a bride who adorns herself with her jewelry. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden causes what has been sown to sprout up, so God the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up in the presence of all the nations. The word of the Lord. Our second reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The promises of the coming king let us live with joy, regardless of present circumstances. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not extinguish the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test everything, hold on to the good, keep away from every kind of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The word of the Lord. Our small catechism selection today, Confession Parts 3 and 4, we join this together. Third, how can we recognize these sins? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, employer, or employee? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you hurt anyone by word or deed? Have you been dishonest, careless, wasteful, or done another wrong? Fourth, how will the pastor assure a penitent sinner of forgiveness? He will say, by the authority of Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Gospel acclamation from Isaiah 61. Alleluia. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God. Alleluia. Please rise for the reading of our Gospel. Our Gospel reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John came as a witness to the light. Jesus is the light who gives life and perfect joy. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as an eyewitness to testify about the light so that everyone would believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This is the testimony John gave when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny. He confessed. I am not the Christ. And they answered him, Who are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Then they asked him, Who are you? Tell us, so we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. They had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked John, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, or Elijah, or the prophet? I baptize you with water, John answered. Among you stands one you do not know. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. These things happened in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The word of the Lord. Our Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 324, O Lord, how shall I meet you?
We consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And as we, as we start, I guess we have to start a little bit um, talking about this Sunday. This Sunday is known as the Sunday of Joy. Um, the Sunday of Joy. And, you know, if you follow the church calendar, of course, that's a Latin word, which is a command to everyone, rejoice. The Sunday of Joy because it is different from the other, the rest of Advent. Advent, at least historically, um, in this time leading up to Christmas, is the time when the, Christ, when the Christian church waits for our celebration of Christmas. It's different from the secular celebration of Christmas. That usually begins um, either after Halloween or after Thanksgiving, take your pick. And it's celebrated with um, all sorts of parties, with um, all the Hallmark movies and the Peanuts Christmas Carol on TV and, um, and Mariah Carey everywhere. <laughs> Too much everywhere. Christian Christmas, the Christian celebration of Christmas, begins at sundown on Christmas Eve and continues for 12 more days up until the day that is referred to often as Gentile Christmas or Epiphany when these Gentile magi came to worship the Christ child. And because of that, the whole rest of the world is scrambling right now so that they can get all their celebrations in, so that they can get all the shopping done, so they can have all the lights and all the emotional feeling, trying to recapture the, um, the feeling of what it was like, all the warm, fuzzies, comfortable Christmas time, so that they can take the tree down on the 26th and be ready for New Year's. The Christian church, by contrast, the Christian church uses this time of Advent uh, similarly to the season of Lent. Historically, it's a penitential season, a season when we reflect a little bit more closely on what God says about my relationship to him and our relationship to him because Christianity is never an individual thing. It is a group relationship with God. And we reflect a little bit on our relationships with one another, how we have treated each other in thought, word, and deed. And we recognize, after all of that, that the Messiah comes for you and for me. That we are a people who wait, and we are people who prepare, but most of all, we're expecting the Messiah to come. And that kind of sets the stage. If you have that difference between secular Christmas and Christian Christmas, <laughs> which sounds redundant, although it's not. Have the difference between secular Christmas and Christian Christmas in mind that will set the stage for the Sunday of joy that we have today. The Sunday of joy. Secular Christmas is concerned with happiness. Make sure that all the things happen when they should. Make sure that the decorations are, are working properly and adorning everything correctly, that they light up properly that we follow through with all of the traditions, and that we do all of the things that we do every year. Which isn't a bad thing. Tradition in and of itself is not a bad thing. Christian Christmas is not so much concerned with happiness, but with joy. Not so much concerned with happiness, which is how I feel about the circumstances, how I feel about how things are going, how I feel about where I'm at in life, how I feel when my children or grandchildren say they can come or they can't come for Christmas, how I feel, whether it's um, happiness or disappointment or somewhere muddling in between. For the Christian, it's joy. We sometimes use those words interchangeably, although they're not. Joy and, and happiness. Happiness is my perception based on what I'm feeling, and this is my feeling, my emotion. Joy is based on a reality outside of me that is mine. Happiness, um, you know, you and I would all prefer, I suppose, a happy day as opposed to a sad day or a downer of a day. Like nobody says, sign me up for that. I want a miserable day. Um, <laughs> no thanks. We all want a happy day. But in a world of sin and death and pain, that's not always possible. And especially, um, you know, we have human, our human psyche isn't built for a continual high of, of happiness. 
And then finally, I guess, if all we did was prioritize my happiness above anything else, then that means, well, stepping on heads and pushing people aside because they would be interfering with my happiness. Look around the world and I'm sure you'll see that in action. Christian joy, something outside of us that applies to us. Christian joy is not an emotion, but a reaction of faith. Christian joy is the recognition that someone, something outside of us, applies to you and to me. And so during this penitential season of preparing to meet the Lord, as we repeat our annual tradition of celebrating Christmas, and we have in mind that we are also waiting for the return of Christ, as all, both of our hymns reflect today, this annual repetition is a joyful thing because it's in faith. It says, yes, our Lord is coming soon. And if it's not this year, then we still have our celebration of Christmas where we remember and we reiterate. And Christ himself gives us the annual celebration of his birth, that your God has become flesh. Where the externals of our faith, the object of truth as you know, revealed in the word of God, is applied to you and to me. This Jesus became human for you. And he became human not just like miraculously poof and he appeared, but that the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. And then he traces his human ancestry through Mary because God used, you know, Mary's biological contribution. And he became incarnate. He joined himself to our humanity. He became incarnate, tracing his ancestry all the way back to David as promised and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as promised all the way back to Adam and Eve. And he was born, but not in the natural way, obviously, because there wasn't a human father. He was born without original sin. That's the basis of joy. And if you put it like that, it sounds so clinical and dry. And so Advent is the time when we sit back and say, all this is for you. You realize that. All of this is for you, that your God became human to save you. And so, in a sense then, um, on this Sunday of joy, we've got John the Baptist, who's the prophet of joy. He's preparing the people for the Lord, preparing them for the celebration of the coming Messiah, preparing them to meet that Messiah because the Messiah has come to meet them. And here's John the Baptist out in the Judean wilderness, outside of Jerusalem. The entire countryside is going out to him because they haven't had a prophet in 400 years. 400 years. Like, we're accustomed to having your Bible on your shelf or maybe your coffee table or wherever it happens to sit. But they didn't have a prophet come and speak to them for 400 years, the prophet Malachi. So that would be like, you know, sitting here in 2023, and the last time God spoke to you was in um, 1621 when the pilgrims landed, when the Mayflower arrived at Plymouth Rock. Like, it's been that long. It's been an incredibly long time. And now John shows up. He's the prophet of joy because he's preparing the people to meet their Lord. He's preparing the people to meet their Lord, and, and they're being baptized, they're repenting of their sins, and, and God is calling them to repentance. He is the voice in the wilderness crying. He is preparing the way for the Lord, and his message is that, like, paragraph-long sentence in um, Isaiah chapter 61, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive, um, comfort for those who mourn, the oil of gladness, and his proclamation is what God uses to bestow that robe of righteousness. Joy. Because that righteousness comes from outside of you and me. It's dressed, it's described as being radiant and beautiful. Um, it's described in like wedding clothing in um, you know, that verse from, uh, from Isaiah chapter 61. It's described like wedding clothing. Verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And then the picture of, um, of wedding clothing. With a robe of righteousness, he adorns me like a groom who wears a beautiful headdress, like a bride who adorns herself with her jewelry. And so what does, what does John the Baptist, the prophet of joy, have to say um, to God's people on the Sunday of joy? 
Well, if you look at, um, aside from what we have here in John chapter 1, we also have what he says to the, uh, the Pharisees who came out looking and wondering. What does the prophet of joy have to say? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is at the root of the tree. He's ready to sweep off his threshing floor and burn it with fire. And boy, oh boy, when Messiah gets here, watch out. That's not exactly the uh, joyful proclamation that we were hoping for. So I guess the, the central question um, that, the, that they go out to see John uh, here in John chapter 1, they, they're asking, who are you? But the real question, why are you here? And what are you doing? Why are you here and what are you doing? And you see that God has one thing to say. He has one thing to say and he wants to get to saying that one thing. The one thing that he has to say is, um, is the forgiveness of sins, righteousness, that's yours. The one thing he wants to say is that there's no need to mourn anymore, there's no sorrow anymore because your guilt has been taken away and there's no shame that you carry. Sometimes we use those interchangeably. Guilt is your actual standing before God, the sin has been taken away. Shame is the way we feel about our sin or the way sin makes us feel. And the one thing that God has to say speaks to both guilt and shame, that your guilt has been atoned for and that you can stand before your God shamelessly because he's washed away your sin. And this is the, the message that John wants to get to. But then the question, well, why is he so harsh with the Pharisees? Because he has this one thing to say, and it's only received through faith. It's only, yes, it is a message that creates faith, but um, it's a message of joy to those who know what they are missing. It's a message of joy to those who realize what they, where they almost ended up. And so John is the one who is supposed to call them back from the brink, saying, repent. You can think of it this way. Um... A few weeks ago, for some reason, I was um, reading about Montana and Glacier National Park and all the, the large animals out there and the grizzly bears are kind of cool, I guess. Um, but the one, the one that was kind of scary, and this sent me down a rabbit hole, like, you know, reading online and you read one thing and then you read another thing and then that leads to another thing, it sent me down a rabbit hole about mountain lions. I don't know if you've ever encountered a, a mountain lion. My family has. I haven't. Thankfully, God kept them safe. Here's the warning. There are mountain lions in Minnesota. <laughs> there are mountain lions in Michigan. Um, anyway, one of the stories of this mountain lion was of a, of a hunter who was going like deer hunting or elk hunting, and he is walking into his deer stand. And then, you know, late afternoon, hasn't seen anything all day, and he's walking out. And the thing about mountain lions is you don't know that they're there until, until it's too late. And as he's walking out, he's literally retracing his steps, following his steps in the dirt. And then he sees a gigantic cat print following his steps foot for foot that he had been walking in that morning. And this giant cat had been following him and stalking him almost the whole way. Walking in, he had no idea. Walking in, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to go hunting. It's a beautiful day, a beautiful morning. The woods are making the noises that they make in the morning. And, um, and then walking out, he was brought to a realization of the danger that he was in. And imagine the joy when he finally gets safely back inside of his truck. And he says, huh, got to be more careful. That's why John came. Because just as surely as Satan stalks his prey, just as surely as you or I or your friend or your neighbor or the Pharisees are walking through life, 
thinking it's all good, you know, I've got a decent job, my health is okay, I'll have 70 or 80 years if God gives me the strength, I've got nothing to worry about, um, life is pretty good. Walking through life as though there is nothing to fear. And John has to be the prophet of joy by disabusing them of that notion. John has to be the prophet of joy by showing them the exact danger that they were in. That whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, you will stand before holy God. And he is a just judge who isn't going to listen to excuses. And that's the message that prepares the way for the joy. The one thing that God wants to proclaim, the forgiveness of sins, that is yours. On this third Sunday in Advent, the, the Sunday of joy, you're here, I presume, because you've been convinced of that fact, that the Holy Spirit has done the convincing of that very fact, that you and I have been quite literally snatched from the jaws of hell, that you and I, even when we were cooing and crying in the cradle, uh, we were still spiritual corpses before our God. But there, that baptismal font, or one like it, God gave you spiritual resurrection, spiritual life. And his promise that he is the one who has suffered the pain of hell, that he is the one who has been separated from the loving presence of God, that he alone is the one who has um, suffered the wrath of God. And his promise to you is, as long as you stay close to him in his word, that you'll never experience that in the least little bit. That no matter the circumstances of life, as Paul talks about in Thessalonians, no matter the circumstances of life, that whether it's a happy circumstance or a downer of a circumstance, we still have joy because we have a Savior who came for you and for me. We still have joy because you have a God who joined himself to your humanity. We still have joy because that God has taken away your sin. And the one thing that we have, the one thing that the Christian church has that is different from anything else is that single proclamation of God, the forgiveness of sins. And so you'll notice that, you know, our songs center on that, that our sacraments center on that. According to the, the promise, there is the, the word encapsulated in water to wash away sin. According to the promises of God, we gather around the table where Jesus Christ gives his own crucified and glorified body for you and for me for the forgiveness of sin. That even though the um, season of Advent is a little bit different, it's a season of waiting, it's a season of expectation, it's a season of looking ahead to judgment and waiting for Christmas and having a Christian Christmas celebration that is different from secular Mariah Carey Christmas. Even though Advent is different, it still has the same proclamation that we rejoice, that the Son of God became human to take our sin, and he has done it. Amen. We continue with our prayer of the church at the bottom of page four. Please rise. Almighty God, you sent John the Baptist to proclaim the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Grant that we, who prepare to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, may die to sin and rise to new life, that we may treasure up and ponder in our hearts the Christ announced by your forerunner. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Heavenly Father, be the source of strength and comfort in every home. Bless the children of our families, that every darkness would be lightened by your Son's gracious visitation. Preserve them from dangers to body and soul. Guide them by your word and wise paths, and keep them firm in the faith until life's end. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Heavenly Father, your church eagerly awaits the return of her bridegroom. Grant that we would not grow weary. Strengthen us through your word and sacraments, that we would ever hold fast your promise of salvation won for us by Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Visit us in your compassion, O Lord. Deliver the sick from their infirmity, the troubled from their afflictions, the grieving from their sorrow, and the dying from their fear. Bless Tracy Skreptak, awaiting eye surgery this week. Grant her relief, recovery, and healing as we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Our Lord Jesus prepares his people for his coming in visible glory by visiting his people now in hidden glory. We join together with the song of the saints and angels.
that it is the setting that is hymn number 951. Um, all it is is the same song of Simeon from page 15 of the Red Hymnal. So once the tune starts, if you are familiar with the Red Hymnal, this one will be very familiar. Please rise.
Good morning once again. Um, any birthdays for which we ought to sing? Tomorrow. Sunny has a birthday tomorrow. We should sing for Sunny because hey, we probably won't see you tomorrow. <laughs> All right. We'll sing for Sunny. Yeah. 